The head coach of the OSU women's basketball team says a fast-paced offense has helped put the team back into the top 10. I'm Steve Brown. And I'm Thomas Bradley. This is After the Score. Welcome to After the Score, 89.7's weekly look at sports. This week, we'll talk to a Cleveland Cavaliers beat writer about what to make of the 34-point drubbing the Cavs took at the hands of the Golden State Warriors. We'll also weigh in on NPR's decision to move sports commentaries to just once a month. The network's longtime sports commentator had some interesting comments on that this week. But first, the Ohio State women's basketball team, the Buckeyes, are currently ranked seventh in the nation. Yeah, head coach Kevin McGuff has done a great job taking over the team that was middling near the bottom half of the Big Ten just three years ago. And he stopped into the studios this week. We started our conversation by asking him what's led to all the success this year. Well, you know, I really like our team this year. Um, we've got a great group of young women. Um, we got a little more depth than we had last year. We were really kind of thin, uh, so we're playing more people. Uh, we've taken another step with our style of play. We have one of the fastest, most aggressive styles of play in the country, and we've really evolved um, from that standpoint a little more so than last year. So a lot of things coming together for us. Yeah, I like where we are right now, but a long way to go in this season. The faster style of play, you're talking up and down the court, you run more of a fast break kind of offense? Yeah, absolutely. We've got some kids that, that really fit that system. We've recruited to it. Um, we, we make or miss. We try to be one of the fastest teams in the country. Um, we're leading the Big Ten in scoring right now and um, one of the tops in the country. So we really like where we are on the offensive end. Your schedule might be one of the hardest schedules I've seen in a while. You've played every team that was in the Final Four last year. Talk about the strength of schedule you've seen so far. Yeah, we played, um, like you mentioned, all Final Four, all four Final Four teams from last year. We played the number one team, number two team, number three teams in the country, um, <clears throat> two of whom were on the road. And really tough in the beginning because we lost a couple close games to those those um, top teams. But it's really been um, instrumental in the growth of this team because we really challenged ourselves. We figured out where we had to, to get better as a team. Uh, we developed some toughness, and I think that's really served us well as we hit Big Ten play. As Thomas said, you have played the four Final Four teams from last year. You lost to three of them. Is there a worry that you're – a good program, but not an elite program at this point. Well, I mean, first of all, I think you got to play those teams to see where you are. And um, you know, as when I came here, I knew we had a lot of work to to go to build the program, and part of that wanted to be aggressive scheduling. And so, you know, I like the fact that we kind of measured ourselves against the best. We know where we have to to get better. Uh, we know what we have to do to be one of those teams. And I think until you have that knowledge, it's hard to be one of those teams. So, you know, even though we didn't win all those games, um, I think it was a big step for this program. And I think it's going to really be good for us as we continue to build. Kelsey Mitchell has won multiple National Player of the Week awards. What does she mean to your program as far as leadership on and off the court? You know, she's a great kid. Um, she's one of the most talented basketball players in the country. Um, as fast as anyone you'll ever see with the ball in her hands. She makes other people better. Um, off the court, she's extremely humble. Um, she's a great teammate. She sets a great example for her teammates. And um, you know, it's just a real joy to have in our program. We try to cover women's sports as much as possible. We do sometimes fall into the trap of covering the men's teams more than the women's teams. Sell people on women's college basketball. Why should they come to Value City Arena to watch an OSU women's game? It's a great sport. Um, it's a very, very team-oriented sport. Um, most people, most women's basketball teams at the top, you'll see, play a great brand of basketball where they really share the basketball. They play extremely hard. 
Um, it's a little more below the rim than the men's game, which I like. You know, I think there's a little more into strategy and execution rather than just raw talent. I also think that you know, if you bring your children to a game, our kids are very accessible after games. They're great role models. Um, they spend time with the, the fans. They sign autographs. And you know, we have a great thing going, and I would love to see more people come out and support us. We've had great fans here, great, great crowds here recently. We have a really loyal, um, intense fan base, and we just need to continue to grow it. With only one loss in the Big Ten, obviously a Big Ten championship is in the site right now. What does your team need to do to get not only a regular season Big Ten championship, but to set yourself up for a good tournament run? Well, we just need to stay focused on getting better. And, you know, we went from kind of mid-December to where we are now, where we've had some great practices. Our kids have shown up every week with the mindset that we want to improve as a basketball team. And because there's some there's some awesome teams in this league, and they're going to continue to get better. If we don't continue to get better, then we're not going to be able to finish off the Big Ten the way we want. You are a, a very good program here at Ohio State. The best program in, co- in women's college basketball is obviously Connecticut, who you had a chance to play earlier this year. You lost to them, but uh, what was it like playing uh, playing that team, the, the uh, you know, a dynasty in women's basketball? Well, it was a great opportunity. Um, one, I, it, was, it was fun to have them here um, at the shot and have our fans have a chance to see them, and I think that's really important. But it really was a great chance for our players to see how that program operates, mm-hmm. how they warm up, how they play, um, how they are on the bench, how they interact with each other, how they interact with their coaches, because they do the intangibles better than anyone else in the country, and I think that's what separates them from, from the rest of the like, programs. Like what? What do they do? Uh, the intangibles, you know, just the way, uh, how coachable they are, how hard they play, how, how positively they interact with each other. Um, all the hustle plays they make, all those things, they, they do it better than anybody else in college basketball. That's what separates them. And so I really wanted our players to see that and to feel that so they could have an understanding where we, the steps we have to take if we want to be one of the true elites. Outside of Gino Ariema, I'm sorry, the Ariema? Yeah. Yes. Okay. Outside of Gino Ariema leaving UConn, do you see space for another elite team to make a kind of run? they've had at UConn. I do. Um, Even with with what Connecticut has done here recently, I think there's much more parity in women's basketball across the board than we've seen in a long time. And I think that's going to continue to grow. There's more good players. They're, they're, They're going to different places. Um, there's a lot of great young coaches out there who are, or who are building programs. And so I think that we'll see um, more parity, even more so than what we have right now in the coming years. I mean, even five, six years ago, you look at recruiting boards for high school women's basketball and UConn gets the top six players or something like that. That That is changing, you're saying? It's starting to spread around a little bit, yes. There's, there's more universities putting resources into um, women's basketball programs, and that's translating into stronger programs across the board. And I think you'll see um, new programs pop up. I think you'll, you'll see new people win national championships, and I think it's a really exciting time to be a part of women's basketball. Kevin McGuff, thanks again. Thank you. Switching to men's basketball now, the Cleveland Cavaliers are in a tough spot. They really are. The Cavs are obviously the best team in the East. They just whooped up on the L.A. Clippers, and they're a stone-cold lock to get back to the playoffs. But they are clearly not the best team in the NBA. That honor goes to the Golden State Warriors. They beat the injury-riddled Cavs in the finals last year, and they showed this week that they're still better than a healthy Cavs team. So this is probably breaking news for, for many of you out there. But head coach of the Cleveland Cavaliers, 
David Blatt has been fired. As of around 4 o'clock on Friday afternoon, assistant coach Ty Lue will take over the interim coach duties for the time being. We actually recorded an interview with a Cavs beat writer, Joe Varden, earlier this morning. And we talked about the troubles that the Cavs had taking care of business against you know, elite teams like the Warriors or the Spurs. LeBron James came to Cleveland to win a championship, and it seems like the organization does not believe that David Blatt is the coach for the job. We talked to Joe about the troubles. We talked to him about a bunch of things. Just note that this interview was done before David Blatt was fired from the Cavs. And joining us now is Joe Varden, beat writer for the Cleveland Cavaliers. He covers them for the Cleveland Plain Dealer and Cleveland.com. Joe, we saw on Monday the Cleveland Cavs were absolutely annihilated by the Golden State Warriors. 38-point victory. Are the Warriors really 38 points better than the Cavs right now? Well, right now they are. Um, And that is as much an indictment uh, of the Cavs and the rest of the league uh, as it is just total, um, you know, praise and admiration for the Warriors. I mean, if you look at what they did to the Bulls the next night, it was roughly the same score, uh, the Warriors, um, the next night or certainly their next game. So, you know, I mean, you, you what you have to do right now is you take a look at um, where you are in the schedule, which is we're not even in February yet, and um, you just take a look at, at how you're playing and, and you know, what you're doing wrong and, you know, realize that you have time to fix it. And, you know, after a couple of days to reflect, that's, that's where the Cavs are right now. And the Cavs aren't bad. They're, they're one of the, the better teams in the East. The Warriors are just that much better. Steve was asking me before we called you, is it really a problem that the, the Cavs are losing to the Warriors if they're beating everyone else? And if the ultimate goal for LeBron James returning to Cleveland is championships, you have to say that right now that is a problem. Well, it, it, it's a problem, uh, I think, because of the way that this went down. Um, you know, they, the Cavs lost to the Warriors by six on Christmas Day, and we all saw how closely uh, they played each other in the finals. It was a it was a, a tough series, and the Cavs didn't have all their guns. Um, so those those kinds of losses are okay. Losing to the to the Spurs by four on the road in Game Five of a six game road trip that's okay. Um, but just the the way the systematic destruction uh, that the Warriors inflicted upon the Cavs, with everybody watching and sort of all you know, pretty much everybody you know, players including putting extra stock in this game. Um, the Cavs were healthy, as I've already said, for the first really for the first time in a while against the Warriors, and so people were really looking to see exactly how they measured up, and so to lay that kind of an egg after all of the talk and after all the focus that had been placed upon beating the Warriors. Now, all of a sudden, you have to start asking questions about, you know, A, is your team good enough? And B, have you developed sort of a a mental, sort of a complex uh, when facing the Warriors? And and that, of course, is bad because, you know, if you get into that seven-game series um, months from now, you know, you need to come in with the right mindset. And, and, and um, you know, the, the Cavs, as we've already said, certainly have some work to do. One of the Cavs players who are finally healthy, as you put it, is Kyrie Irving, the all-star guard. No one questions his offense. On defense the other night, it was 
it was really dismaying to watch him just get abused by Steph Curry. Steph Curry, an MVP player, a great player, but watching him, he just had his way with Irving on offense. Well, yeah, and Chris Paul, um, I think he had 28 uh, Thursday night, you know, against Kyrie as well. Um, so yeah, I mean that's that's an issue for for Kyrie right now. Um, you know, I I, I don't um, I'm, I'm not going to use the knee as an excuse. I, I don't think that Kyrie is like miles off of where he was, um, but but he's not quite yet the finished product. So you know, he he's still um, I think I think he's building up some still building up some strength he's still building up some confidence which can in his knee which can affect his lateral movements now you know we've seen him you know pull off his zero step layups in traffic and and score 32 and and, and hit game winning shots so we know he's okay so he really he can't use the injury as a crutch on defense before last season the Cavs traded away a lot for Kevin Love, and they wanted to create their own version of the big three. We've seen it on on teams that have been historically great, the Bulls, the Celtics. We've seen a big three, and that's LeBron James, Kevin Love, and Kyrie Irving. As of late, Kevin Love hasn't been playing that role that people thought he was going to play. And you wrote uh, today, actually, in the Cleveland Plain Dealer and Cleveland.com that the, the chemistry between those three needs to be organic. Can you explain what that means on the court? <laughs> well, um, organic, uh, LeBron's reference there was um, that you can't, they, they can't force this. They can't force themselves to be balanced. They can't force themselves um, to, to sort of have this harmony that it's just something that has to grow naturally. But, but what you're really seeing is um, that, that LeBron and Kyrie have to make a concerted effort to get Kevin Love, Love the ball and get him shots. And they've been paying this lip service for two years. Um, but they still don't really do it, especially in some of the bigger games. And, and you know, we all were critical of Kevin uh, after what happened against the Warriors. I mean, five points or three, three points on five shots is just not acceptable. Um, and he was certainly uh, had culpability in that. But, you know, when push comes to shove, um, if, if Kevin kind of doesn't insert himself early into the, the flow, LeBron and Kevin ignore him. And, and they can look at JR and, or just, you know, pound the ball themselves and, and get on with their, with their days. Um, and what needs to happen uh, for this really to work, for the big three to work, is that they have to keep feeding the ball to Kevin. The Cleveland Cavaliers are in first place in the East. They were blown out by the Golden State Warriors, who look like the favorite to win the NBA title this year. But the Cavs, since, have righted the ship at least somewhat and won their last two. Joe Varden covers the team for The Plain Dealer and Cleveland.com. Thanks, Joe. Hey, anytime, guys. The Buffalo Bills made history this week by hiring the first full-time female coach in NFL history. There have been some women coaches who were part-time or interns, 
but never a full-time coach until now. Catherine Smith is the new special teams quality control coach for the Buffalo Bills. And Matthew Fairburn covers the team for Syracuse.com. He joins us now. Matthew, help us get to know Catherine Smith. Yeah, Catherine Smith, you know, if you think about it, has kind of been preparing for this type of promotion for a while. You know, she, she got into was a three-sport athlete in high school and, you know, was on the sidelines, uh, you know, with her dad taking stats for football games in high school, always kind of been around the game, you know, went, went on to become a manager at St. John's uh, down in New York. And, you know, while she was in college, did that for four years uh, for the basketball team and, and was working, you know, with the New York Jets uh, sort of in a part-time capacity throughout college. And once she graduated, they, they took her on full time. She had various scouting and administrative roles. And, you know, when Rex Ryan arrived in New York in 2009, you know, he was really impressed with Catherine and, and sort of, you know, kept moving her up the ladder a little bit. And she was basically his, you know, right-hand man for a while. Always, you know, people kind of wonder what she was doing in these various roles. Well, she's she's the one when they're out at practice, you know, calling up certain plays on game film and, and basically organizing things and, and drawing up different plays. So, you know, she's very comfortable with schemes and, and things like that and, and really visualizing things and helping coaches you know, make sure, you know, they have all their, their ducks in a row, so to speak, and that they're prepared, you know, to, to translate that information to players. And so, you know, when the job came open of quality control coach, you know, that's kind of what that job is. And so, you know, Rex thought she'd be a perfect fit for it. And he, he's worked with her since 2009 after he was fired with the Jets. He, he wanted her to, you know, come with him wherever he went because he trusts her that much. And, and you know, he's the one, she's the one that, you know, helps kind of organize him and and she worked closely with Danny Crossman and Eric Smith the special teams coaches here in Buffalo a year ago so it really was just a natural fit for her. to talk about the role of quality control coach I think our listeners are are familiar with the head coach obviously and assistant coaches and then positional coaches but then deeper than that you have quality control coaches this is a new thing in the NFL and what exactly does a quality control coach do yeah, you know, a, a quality control coach, the position, you know, it's still relatively new, I guess. It, it's probably, you know, 20, 25 years old. I believe Mike Holmgren was one of the first ones to really, you know, bring that position to the forefront. But, you know, they sort of have, you know, he'll, she'll have some on-field responsibilities and helping out the, the special teams coaches. And it, it's a lot of game film. It's a lot of preparation. It's really preparing the assistant coaches to come up with game plans, whether it's you know, finding certain plays on film from, from past games. Rex Ryan brought up, you know, how Catherine was able to kind of, you know, recall certain plays and certain schemes that teams had run in the past and dig through game film and recognize different things on tape. And, and it's really a thankless job, the quality control position, because you're asked to do a lot of grunt work and a lot of preparation work. And it's a ton of hours, you know, for low pay. It really is a, a foot in the door type of job an entry-level coaching job but it's how a lot of coaches get their start and you know it's it, it'll involve a lot of game film and it'll involve a, a lot of really just preparing those coaches to go out and implement the game plan each day at practice and so you know it's, it's a ton of work it's a big step up for her workload wise and uh, it's one of those jobs that you know like Rex Ryan said today going to be kind of a thankless one but it is a foot in the door. Just before we called you, you were at a press conference with Rex Ryan. Um, what exactly did he say, and have you uh, talked to any players about this? Yeah, you know, Rex Ryan uh, you know, said he, he didn't really expect this to, to be as big of a deal as it was. You know, when he was 
making this move and, and getting set to promote Catherine, that he wasn't thinking about breaking a barrier. He wasn't thinking about, you know, what it might do for the future or where, where she might go from here. He was thinking Catherine Smith is, you know, a very qualified quality control coach, you know, very qualified for this position and, uh, you know, one of the hardest workers they have on staff. And, and so he really wanted to, to reward her and he thinks it's, you know, the best move for the Bills. And, you know, over the last 24 hours, he's realized, you know, the scope of this thing and, and the fact that, you know, she could be a bit of a trailblazer and that, you know, she is kind of breaking some barriers here. But, you know, and I, I think, you know, the players, it's interesting with the players because that's one thing a lot of people wonder, you know, will, you know, players be able to, you know, male football players respect a woman coach? And, and Rex doesn't have any doubt about that. And we've already seen some reaction from players you know, Richie Incognito, for one, very supportive. Uh, you know, Aaron Williams, the safety, very supportive. Same with, you know, Marquise Gray, a tight end. All these guys that, that she's been around the building and, you know, they've they've worked with her and they realize how hard she works and how, how qualified she is. And, and they're excited for her to get this opportunity. And it's like Rex mentioned today, players want coaches that, you know, are going to help them become better players. And, and I think anybody who's been around Catherine Smith seems to recognize that she's going to be able to help them do that. And, you know, the more players that realize that and get to work with her, you know, that's how you earn respect in this business. And I don't think, you know, gender will have a big, big role in that. I think the fact that that she works hard and is going to have these guys prepared to play uh, is going to be enough to earn the respect of these players. Certainly a milestone for women in professional sports and more specifically the NFL we saw the Cardinals over the this past summer hire a part-time uh, female coach, uh, and now the Bills hiring Catherine Smith full-time as special teams quality control. We've been talking with Matthew Fairburn from Syracuse.com. He covers the Bills for them. Matthew, thanks for joining us. Absolutely. Thanks for having me, guys. Now to the sports topic that really stuck with me this week. Frank DeFord. He's one of the most accomplished sports journalists ever, a a longtime writer for Sports Illustrated, former editor-in-chief at The National, and until Wednesday, he gave weekly commentaries for NPR. We say until Wednesday because he's now a monthly commentator, and in typical Frank fashion, he mixed some beautiful prose with some good old-fashioned anger. Let's listen to Frank's commentary this week. Dear people of St. Louis, I want you to be good sports. Yes, you lost an NFL franchise, but that's just the way it is in America. Owners own teams so that they might move them to another municipality with better luxury boxes. So get over it. Even New York, premier city of the world, has lost teams. So too, glitzy, glamorous L.A., Chicago. Hey, it was St. Louis that took the football cardinals from Chicago before Phoenix took the Cardinals from St. Louis so that St. Louis could take the Rams from Los Angeles, and so on. You want to know something really bizarre? What large American city has suffered the most in the last few decades? Altogether now, Detroit. No argument. Yet the Motor City is the only O-line metropolis never to have lost one of its teams to another city in any of the four big-time sports. The Tigers, Lions, Red Wings, and Pistons are there today as sure as they were back when what was good for General Motors was good for the country. Would you rather have a basketball team, or would you rather be Detroit? See, 
losing or gaining a franchise really doesn't have a thing to do substantively with your city. It only has to do with an owner trying to make more money for his own self. Yay, veritable legions of owners have found more welcoming metropolitan venues since I first started doing these essays in 1980, shortly after Morning Edition first intruded upon the morning. Not long thereafter, I swore off regularly railing about greedy owners and poor put-upon cities. You can only occasionally draw water from that same old well. Alas, as universal as sport is, it's pretty finite. I do get very envious of my general news colleagues who are always being handed sexy new stuff like global warming, China, and Donald Trump, while my sports colleagues and I must be eternally satisfied with the same old home court advantage, soccer, and momentum. Notwithstanding, as someone who has by now delivered more than 1,600 of these weekly commentaries, which must be some sort of arcane broadcast record, I hope that in these 35 years I've introduced some greater understanding and appreciation about an institution that is often derided as merely vulgar. I do honestly believe that in the 21st century, sport is the most significant cultural element in this imperfect world of ours. It calls for serious attention. No, sport is surely not the purest human expression, nor that which will leave the deepest mark. But sport is an art. It has incredible appeal everywhere on this earth, and it fills so many human breasts with passion that it's impossible to dismiss it as simply the familiar junior partner of bread. Sport is more a devotion than a circus. Others may well disagree with opinions such as that, so NPR will now fairly enough allow other diverse voices to also rise above the roar of the arena, and henceforth, rather than every week, my venerable opinions will be confined only to the first Wednesday of every month. Who knows, maybe the longer time between my orations might possibly produce more wisdom. And so... With my apologies to Detroit, I now button my lip and take my leave till February 3rd. And there you go. Typical Frank fashion right there, mixing some anger with some really beautifully written stuff. Uh, A few comments that stuck out to me. I hope in all these years I've introduced some greater understanding and appreciation about an institution that is often derided as merely vulgar. I, I can speak for myself, and I think I can speak for Thomas as well, NPR fans who are also sports fans. Frank really does a good job at bridging that gap, regardless of your, your opinions on Frank. He's, he's typically interesting. There's no doubt that Frank's commentaries and the presence of them at NPR had a big influence on, influence on whether we should do this show as a whole. Uh, we wanted to bridge the gap between sports and the real world and talk about the real issues, not talk about the X's and O's. And for years, Frank DeFord's commentary has 
made sports interesting to people who might not even watch sports. Yeah, and he is still going to be on NPR once a month. He did offer this to, quote, others may disagree with opinions such as that, so NPR will now, fairly enough, allow other diverse voices to also rise above the roar of the arena and henceforth, rather than every week, my venerable opinions will be confined only to the first Wednesday of every month. And you really have to hear his voice like we just did. You, it makes sense once you hear it that he – I can't help but think he's a little bitter about this. He feels like he's being pushed out the door, but um, he still will be on once a month. And that will do it for this week's edition of After the Score. You can find a full archive of episodes on the WOSU Public Media mobile app and also on iTunes. You can also give us a shout-out on Twitter at After the Score. And until next week, I'm Thomas Bradley. And I'm Steve Brown.